Diverse voices. Unique sound. Not the same old thing. Different, different. This is NOCO FM. Please don't go. I need you so I... Hello, everyone, and welcome to Feminist Hot Dog, the podcast about finding joy through feminism and living your best feminist life. I'm your host, Adrienne Vandervalk, and today's episode is all about a topic I don't think gets nearly enough attention in the world in general and in the feminist world. It is menstrual equity and period poverty. And in the name of normalizing periods, which is one of the recommendations for how we can promote menstrual equity, I am someone who gets a period every month, and I am fortunate enough to be able to afford the supplies I need to manage my period, including my BFF ibuprofen. And since learning more about period poverty, I don't take that for granted anymore. In fact, I have been paying more and more attention to how expensive period products are and thinking about how different my life would be if I didn't have access to them. As you will hear today, there are a lot of people thinking and talking more and more about menstrual issues and the effect of having limited access to period products. In fact, at the end of this month, May 28th, there is a whole day devoted to global efforts around menstrual hygiene and making products available to everyone who needs them. Today, I am sharing my conversations with four different guests who are all addressing the issue of period poverty in different ways. You'll hear from a doctor who is on a mission to educate people with periods about their cycles and how to take care of their bodies when they're bleeding. A journalist who is an expert on global poverty and gender, who writes about how menstrual inequities can limit access to opportunities like education and how they show up in our schools and our prison systems. You will also meet Brooke and Brianna Bennett, 12-year-old twin sisters who started a nonprofit organization to meet the needs of young people in their community who don't have ready access to period products. As period poverty and menstrual equity have gotten more attention in the last few years, it's pretty common to hear this issue framed as something that affects girls and women. However, as we talked about in previous episodes like trans dudes with lady cancer or painful sex in the pelvic floor, just because someone has a uterus or ovaries or a vagina does not mean that they are a woman or a girl. And lots of women and girls don't have a uterus or ovaries or a vagina. So I just want to be really clear about that at the top of the episode. You will hear some instances of binary language in our interviews. And you will also hear the language menstruator and people who menstruate. But all of my guests today were clear in their interviews that for menstrual equity to actually become a reality, all people who have periods must have free and equal access to the products they need, regardless of their gender. I'd like to start off by introducing Leah Rodriguez, one of the most prolific writers I came across in my research on period poverty, both in the United States and globally formerly the homepage editor of New York Magazine's women's interest website, The Cut, Leah works for the nonprofit advocacy organization Global Citizen, which was founded to support a subset of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals that address the elimination of extreme poverty worldwide by 2030, including global goals related to water and sanitation. Period poverty falls under 
water and sanitation because period poverty basically means not having access to the education, information, and resources and facilities to manage your period with dignity and safety. So yeah, once I started writing about water and sanitation, and because I was so interested in gender equality, period poverty felt like my way in to continue talking about gender equality in this context of one of the global goals that's super important. There are about 1.8 billion people who menstruate in the world, but there are millions of menstruators who can't manage their monthly cycle in a dignified and healthy way. So menstrual equity is a term that was coined by the period activist Jennifer Weiss-Wolf. She is a U.S.-based activist who's really been pushing to end the tampon tax, which is a tax that exists in the United States and across the world that taxes menstrual products as if they were luxury items instead of basic necessities. And so Jennifer Weiss-Wolf created this term menstrual equity to really explain the issue to policymakers and help engage them on this issue. What menstrual equity would look like is it would mean that we would not have these barriers to education and information about menstruation, and we would have more access to period products. They would be available for all people who menstruate. And it wouldn't be so hard to just get the basic information that you need to manage something that happens to your body once a month for a lot of people. I asked Leah to talk about some of the ways period poverty manifests and how such a widespread problem could remain largely so hidden. I think that if you are not a person who has a period or you're not someone who deals with period poverty, you might not realize that there are a lot of people who have to choose between buying food and buying period products every month. If you are a person experiencing period poverty, you might be too embarrassed to reach out and ask for help, and you might not know who to ask or where to go to get period products. And in those cases, you might resort to using unsafe materials like dirty laundry or using a bunch of toilet paper or kind of making makeshift pads that can lead to disease and infection and and are not sanitary options. And then for families, if you're a family that experiences period poverty, you might be in an economic situation where you can't afford to send your daughter to school because you can't buy period products for her. And if you have a son, you might opt to send that son to school instead because that's not a concern. And people who experience period poverty might be afraid to go to school or work just because they are afraid that they might bleed on their pants or they might not have a safe facility to manage their period or they just might be embarrassed and not really understand what's going on with their body and they don't have the resources to deal with it. Poverty is exacerbated by intersecting oppressions. How do you see intersectionality showing up in your reporting about these issues? Period poverty disproportionately affects marginalized groups. So that means women, that means people of color, because people of color disproportionately live in poverty. It's affecting people with disabilities more who might not have access to the facilities that accommodate them to manage their periods. 
It also affects people who are experiencing homelessness or refugees and displaced people. And it also affects gender nonconforming people. So it really affects the most vulnerable, marginalized communities. How do you see it showing up in institutions like schools and prisons? In schools, people who menstruate might miss out on class time because period products aren't easily available in bathrooms and they have to go ask a nurse for period products. So that means that they're missing time learning because they have to go get the products. And it can be kind of embarrassing to have to ask someone for something like that. Or they just might miss school altogether because they don't have access to products at home and and they don't know for sure that they'll be able to get them once they get to school. It also means that people who menstruate might choose not to participate in extracurriculars or sports because of their periods. And they also might experience bullying and teasing in class, which can distract them from their work and ability to concentrate. Also, lack of facilities to manage your period is a huge safety concern. If if people who menstruate don't feel that they have a private bathroom or sink to manage their periods, they are at a higher risk of, se- of experiencing sexual violence. So those are, all, those are all things that come into play in the school setting. But in prisons, it's a major issue. And in the United States, there was the U.S. First Steps Act that was passed in 2018. And that was meant to ensure that federal prisons guarantee free menstrual products to people who menstruate. But this law did not apply to states and county prisons, which is actually where 95% of women who are incarcerated are incarcerated. So there are still a lot of issues with federal prisons upholding this law to make sure that they're available. And then where they are available, there might be limited quantities. So if you are someone who's incarcerated, you might only get access to one pad a day But if you're someone who has a heavy flow, one pad a day won't cut it and you might end up bleeding through your pants and you're only given one pair of underwear a day. So then you're dumpster diving for, you know, used underwear to to try to compensate. And there was actually a documentary that came out recently. It's called Pandora's Box, Lifting the Lid on Menstruation. And There's a really moving story from Topeka Sam, who is a criminal justice advocate, and she was formerly incarcerated. And she said that when she was incarcerated, she had to show male officers her use pads before she could request more. And just having to ask someone in authority for a basic need can be really humiliating and upsetting, especially if this person has the ability to extort them for a pad. It just, it puts people who menstruate in a really sticky situation. Now, my own knowledge of period poverty is pretty U.S. centric. I first became aware that there was any kind of political organizing around it when I was working for an organization focused on educational equity. I asked Leah to talk about how she sees period poverty showing up in places outside the U.S. and what lessons she's drawn from studying period poverty in multiple cultural contexts. I think it's really important to remember that taboos and stigma around menstruation exist in all cultures all around the world. They just might look different in different places. 
in the United States, it might mean, like, for instance, right now during coronavirus, a lot of people don't have access to period products simply because there's not any stocked on the shelves at the moment because everybody's stockpiling them. In countries like Nepal, for example, people who menstruate are seen impure by their communities and they're banished to menstrual huts while they're menstruating. So they're forced to sleep in these huts while they're on their period and the huts can be really unsafe. They can experience extreme weather. Women are susceptible to getting sick while they're in them. There have been accounts of women getting bitten by like poisonous snakes or insects while sleeping in these. Nepal has actually banned these menstrual huts, but they still exist in different communities. So that's one example. And then in India, only 12% of menstruators have access to sanitary products. And a lot of people will end up resorting to unsafe materials like rags and sawdust as an alternative, according to the Indian Health Ministry. And in India, menstruating women can't enter temples when they're on their period because it's they're considered impure or unclean. They're not allowed to cook. They're not allowed to eat pickles. They're just like all of these really sexist traditions and beliefs around periods. So it can look really different around the world, but I think it's pretty universal that there is a lot of stigma and taboo around menstruators wherever you are. You recently wrote an article about how the COVID-19 pandemic has worsened period poverty in some places and for some people. Can you talk about why that is? I think one of the most obvious ways is that this pandemic is pushing a lot more people into poverty. And when people are pushed into poverty, they are more likely to experience period poverty. So the impacts will vary based on country to country, but across the board, we are seeing that the people most affected are the poorest and most vulnerable people. I also wrote a story about this organization, I Support the Girls. It's U.S.-based, and it's run by a period activist named Dana Marlowe, and her organization tries to provide period products to vulnerable people who need them, so people living in shelters, people experiencing domestic abuse. And she's seen an uptick in requests for period products from shelters and organizations that help vulnerable communities, but also from people who have never experienced period poverty before and are just now being put in a situation where they can't find any on the shelves of the supermarket or they just lost their job and they're in a tighter situation financially. So a lot of people who were not experiencing this before are experiencing it now. And then we have cases where people who menstruate who either are confirmed to have COVID-19 or are isolating to take precautions, they might lack access to water and sanitation if they live in communities where those facilities are usually communal. And then for people who do have the privilege of working from home for the children who are studying at home while schools are closed, there are these missing, the places where people would normally learn about menstruation are not active. So if you might get materials or products from a local community organization, those organizations aren't meeting right now. And so that makes it harder for people to access information 
and the products that they need. There was actually a study that just came out from the organization Plan International. It was out of their UK chapter. And this study found that in the UK, already three in 10 young women and girls are struggling to access period products because they're in lockdown. And over 54% of them have been forced to use toilet paper instead of a period product. And then 64% said that they couldn't find period products at all in local shops. Around 20% were afraid that they might catch coronavirus if they went to a store to buy period products. So there are all of these new barriers for a lot of people during the pandemic. And then the last point I wanted to make was just that period poverty is also affecting health workers. We know that 70% of all health workers are women. And women are also more likely to work on the front lines. And there have been a lot of conversations about how there are personal protective equipment shortages for healthcare workers and frontline workers, but not many people are talking about how menstrual products are very essential for these people. Because obviously, if you don't have enough products and you're bleeding through your pants at work and you work in a hospital and you're treating COVID-19 patients, it's not a sanitary situation. It's not comfortable. It's humiliating. So we really need to be considering menstrual hygiene management in response efforts during this crisis and making sure that all communities have access to water and sanitation facilities, whether that's in refugee camps or it's in institutional settings. We just really need to make sure that we're not forgetting about period poverty during the pandemic. And I've also seen some positive responses to period poverty during coronavirus. As I mentioned, there was the I Support the Girls initiative to kind of up the amount of donated products. But then there was also Suffolk County in the UK is still making sure that period products are available to students who need them even during the lockdown, because the UK actually made period products free in all schools across the country recently. So many of the issues Leah was describing seemed like they could be fixed pretty quickly and easily, at least in theory, by educating the public about these issues and drawing attention to how widespread the problem is and to how many people's lives would be improved if they no longer had to question how to access menstrual products. That's happening in some places, Leah told me, as more communities and even entire countries are starting to pay attention. Scotland recently passed a bill and is very close to making period products available to all students and anyone who needs them through a government-supported program, and they would be the first country to make them that widely available. The UK is planning to end its tampon tax by 2021. As I mentioned before, the tampon tax is where period products are taxed as luxury items instead of basic necessities. In the United States, more and more states are finally eliminating the tampon tax, but there are still 30 states that honor the tampon tax. And then this is a little smaller, but in the stimulus package that was released by the United States government in response to coronavirus to help people who have been affected The bill actually acknowledged menstrual products as a necessity, and now people who have 
health savings and flexible spending accounts through their employer can use those accounts to purchase menstrual products. Those accounts in the past have been used to buy things like aspirin or over-the-counter medications. And up until now, menstrual products were not considered an approved item. And so just having that wording in this bill that recognizes that menstrual products are a necessity will be a good jumping off point for all of the advocates and activists who are working to have more laws and policies passed to ensure that menstrual products and menstrual education is available. I think the most important thing is that governments really need to acknowledge menstruation and prioritize menstrual equity and pass laws that make period products available to all people and that support education and information and resources so that people can really understand what's happening to their bodies and feel empowered to to deal with this very normal, healthy process. Aside from the legislative responses that I've seen to period poverty, I've also definitely just seen more people talking about the phrase period poverty. When I first wrote about this a little over a year ago, I was like one of the first people who had written an article explaining what it what it is. And since then, as I mentioned before, that documentary on period poverty came out. There's on like a pop culture note, there's now a period emoji, which is really fun to use. And I think that people are just becoming more aware and that's really important in order to help build the movement to end this sexist attitude towards something that is so normal and brings life to the world and should be celebrated. I am always really touched by stories from young people who are taking action against period poverty. There was a Girl Scout troop in Ohio that I wrote about, and they used their cookie sale profits to help build period product lockers in their school. And I just thought that was such an awesome initiative. And then in New Hampshire, there was a high schooler who helped write a bill that was eventually passed. And that bill ensures that schools make period products available for all students. So it's really great to hear that there are young people who are realizing this is a big issue and they're taking a stand. Where I live in Montgomery, Alabama, we are lucky to have two such young people taking a stand. Brianna and Brooke Bennett, co-founders of the nonprofit organization Women in Training, or WIT for short. Brooke and Bree, with the support of their parents and an army of donors and community volunteers, put together packages of menstrual hygiene and personal care products called WIT kits that also include inspiring messages about self-love and self-esteem from the girls to the young people who receive the kits. Now, because Brooke and Brie are twins, it can be a little tricky to tell their voices apart, so I'll jump in occasionally to help out. Here's Brooke, breaking down the basics of WIT, its mission, and why she and her sister decided to start a nonprofit. My mom told me stories about where she used to teach her students didn't have like the stuff they needed, like pads. So I thought it would be a good idea to start WIT because of that. We provide free period products to girls in LGBTQ. We, we publish a young woman's guide to menstrual health. 
And lastly, with the help of Dr. Latoya Clark, the WIT Medical Advisor, we provide menstrual education. And here's Bree. I researched that one in five girls don't have the period products that they need and don't have good menstrual hygiene. And I thought that no one should have to like pay for it because it's something that you need. And it's, it's like you need food and you need the menstrual hygiene products too. We need um, our young people and other people in the community to start doing something for everybody to start doing something. And so you need to start out someplace and someone needs to start it. And we decided that should be us. We thought that WIT would just be a little project and we would give to just one group of people that were in need. But it grew and we got way more um, supplies than we thought we would and way more donations than we thought we would. And like when we set goals on Facebook or GoFundMe, they rise way above our expectations, which is really awesome because now we can carry the project on and give to more people in our community. Currently, the twins assemble the kits in their home. Their dining room table has been taken over with packages of tampons and pads and cases of body wash and deodorant. Then they distribute them around town. At first, they chose two primary groups of recipients. Here's Bree with a really sweet story behind one of their choices. Our first wit giveaway was at New Beginnings, which is an after-school program in the same area as the Patterson Court Projects. And how we chose the that group of girls to donate to first was um, when we first moved here and we went to church. Um, they were at our church and they asked us what we were doing for our birthday because the pastor had announced it that our birthday was coming up that day and they asked us what are we doing for our birthday and we said nothing because we had just moved and we didn't have any friends yet to do a party so um, they came um, on our birthday day and surprised us with balloons and cake and it was just an amazing experience and we thought we should give back for their hospitality and niceness. That's a Southern welcome if I've ever heard one. Education is a really important component of WIT. We'll hear from Dr. LaToya Clark later in the episode about the role she plays as the group's medical advisor. And Brooke and Bree have already been hosting community events with plans to expand their educational programming. We're trying to get WIT into schools and just inform girls about their menstrual cycle and maybe donate some products to them. By what people are telling us, they're not really having um, a menstrual education or it's little or vague or to none. Uh, I feel like it's important to inform everybody about the menstrual cycle so they can just know about it. It's something that everybody should know about, whether you have one or not. We got this bookstore, 1977 Books, to host um, an informational a meeting to inform anybody who would like to come about the menstrual cycle and they got to share their um, first period stories and we had Dr. Latoya Clark speak about um, the menstrual cycle and if anybody had questions she answered them. We we talked about like names for like 
the period, like what people would call a period. And we talked about like people like talked about their stories on how they like found out their about their period. Like some people didn't know what it was and they like, thought they were dying. I'm not going to lie. When Brooke said that, I immediately thought of that first scene in Carrie. Brooke and Brie, you're too young to watch that movie, but you will someday. And then you'll know what I mean. I asked Brooke and Brianna if they ever felt embarrassed talking about periods and period products so much. And what they said really demonstrates what we heard from Leah about the power of normalizing periods. Here are their responses. Brooke first, then Brie. When this project started, like talking about it, just like you had to talk more about it. And so then it just be, I just became used to it and it wasn't like hard to talk about it or anything. Yeah, at first, I feel like it was like um, a weird topic um, with my friends when we would talk about it, but we've all gotten like more comfortable about it and um, started started talking about it more. And now it's like normal for like one of us to ask like for a pad and like so we're not really ashamed or nervous or weirded out by it. The girls aren't stopping with WIT kits or even with their community education efforts. They have their sights set on the kinds of policy changes Leah spoke about that are taking hold across the United States. Here's Brooke. We have a vision to work with the Alabama legislator to provide free menstrual products to women in need. And they also have that as a lot in Virginia and Maine and some other places. So we want to make it one here. And Bree. We want to help pass a bill to help provide menstrual products for women and girls in schools. Everybody should have the products that they need. It's not right for people to have to pay for something that they need to stay healthy for themselves and um, stay clean when their menstrual cycle comes around. Thank you so much to Brooke and Brianna and to their parents, Brad and Adiela Bennett, for inviting me into their home so I can see where the WIT kits get assembled. If you would like to support WIT, you can find them online at womenintraining.org or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I will link all of those social media accounts in our show notes. Before we hear our last interview of the episode, I want to pause to give a shout out to our sponsor, Monochrome Candles a home-based, woman-owned business bringing all-natural, uniquely-scented candles in gorgeous black-and-white glass. I can tell you from my experience as someone who was often disappointed with candle purchases, I either pick them because of how they look and then I'm disappointed by the overly fake or fruity or overpowering smell, or I pick them by smell and then I have to kind of hide them because they are in some god-awful candle holder. But these candles go with any decor, and they smell divine. I have been burning citrus mint and lemon verbena recently to keep my Corona blues away, and totally loving both of those scents. Feminist Hot Dog listeners get 15% off when you visit shopmonochrome.com and enter the code HOTDOG at checkout. That's shopmonochrome.com, checkout code HOTDOG for 15% off. They also make amazing gifts for the candle lovers or the meditators or the menstruators in your life. Finally, we will hear from Women in Training's medical advisor, Dr. LaToya Clark. 
She is an OBGYN here in Montgomery, and although she has been in this field for years, she admitted that, like many of the rest of us, menstrual equity and period poverty were not always on her radar. Menstrual inequality is something that we don't really talk about very much, and honestly, not something that I had actually put a lot of effort into it until it came into the forefront. So many times we focus on patients not being able to get their medicines or not being able to get to a primary care physician or have surgeries that they needed that the basics of just having, you know, the necessary products for menstrual cycles is not something that we often talked about. I noticed that one day I actually had a patient who was taking some tampons and pads out of the office during her visit. And at that point, I realized that some women don't have even the basics that they need, and that's something that we've taken for granted for so long. And so I think when Women in Training came to me, I was just so excited to be able to join aboard um, their program and their mission because I think it's awesome. I have been basically helping the educational part, speaking to some of the young women, and I also wrote a pamphlet for women in training that kind of reviews some of the basics for menstrual cycle and reproductive care. I posed the question to LaToya about what consequences she sees in her practice as a result of young people not having access to menstrual products or to adequate education about their cycle and what changes she hopes WIT and other organizations and activists focused on period poverty can help enact. So I think at the basic level, what you will see is sometimes a lot of embarrassment and shame about menstrual cycles. And I really want to educate young women that having a menstrual cycle is very natural and normal and not something that we should be ashamed of. You can also see infections So sometimes I will treat young women that have left tampons in too long or infections or rashes and skin irritation. One of the consequences of the young women not having education, of course, is unintended pregnancies and teen pregnancies because the young ladies don't understand their menstrual cycle and ovulation and conception. One of the other things that we will often see is inadequate use of birth control as well. Some of the changes that I hope to see is that on a community level that we will be more supportive of these young women and realize that this is an issue for a lot of women around the country. I am also um, very proud of women in training to work at a governmental level to have some bills passed where maybe some government assistance can be used for purchasing these products. I hope to see an increase in education across the board for middle school and high school teens and and young women so that they understand their bodies, they understand their menstrual cycles so that they can make healthy and appropriate choices for themselves. Even in my own practice, I see so many adult women that don't understand menstrual cycle, ovulation, menopause. And so just being able to get that education out there so that women can make uh, good choices and good decisions about their body and about their health care. As a feminist, you strive for equality and you want to be supportive of all women. And I think that this is one way that we can help uh, the youth. And not only are we providing the menstrual cycle 
kits for them. I think it also gives them a resource or tool to know that somebody else is thinking about them, to educate them so that they can also grow up and know their power and their strength and also in turn want to do the same thing and give back. Giving back can look different depending on who you are and what your relationship is to menstruation. I want to close with something Leah Rodriguez said that really stuck with me after our interview. Everyone has a role to play because we all need to work harder to normalize periods. Uh, Full transparency, I'm expecting to get my period today, so that's exciting. I think just talking about periods in the way that we are right now, having more open conversations about it, and when we're all back at our offices, hopefully someday soon, like not hiding your tampon when you go to the bathroom or if you're at school feeling like you need to like put a tampon or pad up your sleeve because there's really nothing to be ashamed about. And I think the more that people are open about it, the more people will be comfortable talking about it. And then we also all need to be calling on our elected officials and leaders and letting them know that menstrual equity is important to us and demanding that they pass laws to protect people who menstruate and make sure that everyone can access the basic right to manage their periods with safety and dignity. I want to extend a huge thank you to Leah Rodriguez, Brooke and Brianna Bennett, and to Latoya Clark for having such frank and enlightening conversations with me on a topic that doesn't get nearly the attention it should. Remember, you can always find the resources we discuss on the show in our show notes. And I hope you feel inspired to support menstrual equity efforts in whatever small way you can, even if it's just leaving products in public bathrooms or in your own bathroom for a guest who might really need them. And don't forget, May 28th is Menstrual Hygiene Day. So if you're looking for ways to get involved, check out some of the organizations we talked about today or go to menstrualhygieneday.org to learn more. And finally, don't forget to follow Feminist Hot Dog on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. If you like the show, please rate, review, or subscribe. And if you love the show, come find us on Patreon and become a patron. Our theme music is by Ava Luna and Loyalty Freak Music. Thank you all for listening. And as always, love yourself and love your buns. Goodbye. This has been a production of NOCO FM.